This is Talk Radio, where God matters. You're listening to Cresta in the afternoon. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest, Dr. Richard Gallagher, is author of Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal. He's professor of clinical psychiatry at New York Medical College, a faculty member of the Psychoanalytic Institute of Columbia University. He's also a faculty member at St. Joseph Seminary, and he's the longest-standing American member of the International Association of Exorcists since its founding in uh, the early 1990s. Uh, For a number of years, he has served as scientific advisor on its governing council, as the only layman and sole psychiatrist, he's also helped train major groups of exorcists in the United States in distinguishing possession cases and other diabolic attacks from medical and psychiatric pathologies. And Dr. Gallagher, it's a pleasure to have you with me. Thanks. Well, thank you. Uh, happy to be here. Well, I have to tell you, the first thing that crossed my mind when I saw the book and I saw your credentials was to say to myself, good heavens, what did he encounter that he would jeopardize his professional standing, writing about uh, demonic attacks and the paranormal? I, I, I can imagine some of your colleagues uh, would be a little skeptical of this. all this. Well, sure, I suppose that people are, are skeptical, but, you know, we, we, we live in a country that is... Uh, believes in religious freedom and uh, believes in a certain amount of pluralism. So in my professional life, I'm, you know, a very mainstream psychiatrist in most ways. And uh, I really have not run into professional blowback on this. Wow. Are, are some colleagues skeptical? Yeah, of course. But, yeah. you know, it doesn't particularly bother me. <laughs> okay. Um Tell me a little bit, I mean, you, you start out describing your, your interests uh, in these, uh, what I call the paranormal, the unusual, uh, early on. What are some of your initial observations that you look back on now as influencing you in this direction? Well, I tell people, Mr. Chris, that everything that I've gotten involved in, from writing books to you know, giving lectures to uh, my original involvement in this field. Everything has been voluntary. Everything has been that I've been asked to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so I didn't I didn't go out and search this. Right. Uh, you know, I was brought up, you know, Irish Catholic, and, you know, I certainly heard, like the rest of us, the gospel stories about possession and stuff from a young age. And, you know, I was never... I was never cynical about that. I, I did feel that perhaps some of those old stories, you know, were misinterpretations of mental illness. Right. But what I didn't think is after my uh, residency at Yale, I didn't feel that, you know, this had this whole subject had anything to do with me until a priest came to my office. I was at Cornell Medical College at the time, and he said, could you evaluate a case? Uh, that I think is demonic, and I said, well, Father, with all due respect, you know, I'm somewhat skeptical about that kind of a diagnosis. And I remember he said to me, well, then, Dr. Gallagher, you're the perfect man for the job because we <laughs> want somebody who's skeptical. And then, you know, I mean, I basically, you know, 
one way or another, I got asked to do a lot of these evaluations. You know, perhaps <clears throat> some people think more than any other physician, you know, in the world. And, you know, I, I, I did come to believe that even though these experiences of possession and lesser demonic attacks are rare, that they're more common than, than I would have thought when I was younger. Hmm, really? What was the first case that made you say to yourself, huh, I don't know uh, how I, I'm, I'm not comfortable describing this phenomenon as just psychiatric pathology? Well, that, that priest who uh, introduced himself to me one afternoon uh, told me he wanted me to evaluate a case that he did not regard as possessed, he regarded as oppressed. Mm -hmm. And what was going on with her is that bruises were appearing all over her body spontaneously. And she and her husband were reporting that they believed it was uh, preternatural, that, that she was literally getting beaten up by evil spirits. Wow. So I, I evaluated her, did a very thorough history, and, you know, we also did some blood tests, make sure she didn't have clotting problems. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that I did not find any other medical or psychiatric reason why these spontaneous bruises all of a sudden were appearing all over her. And I said as much to the to the priest, and he said, "Yeah, that's that's what I suspected. This this does not seem a natural, you know, medical condition." Hmm. So you know, from there, I began to learn, you know, very quickly more and more about possession, oppression. Uh, which which are actually supposed to be diagnosed, certainly in the Catholic tradition, very rigorously. Uh, did this uh, one, this first uh, person that you, whose condition you investigated, uh, was she ever uh, released from that? Uh, and if so, how? Yes, yes. She did get spiritual help. Uh, she was working with the um, an exorcist back where she she lived, um, which is out west. She didn't have a formal exorcism, but between her own spiritual efforts, which are an integral part of the process, as well as uh, some you know prayers uh, by the church and by this priest uh, that out there she was working with, she she got completely better. Wow, that's tremendous. What what are the typical conditions? that may lead uh, to any kind of demonic interference. You mentioned obsession. Other people use phrases like possession, control, and I'm sure there must be distinctions here. But I'm just generally speaking, are there conditions that uh, lead to demonic interference in a person's life? Well, there are, no, there are a number of medical and psychiatric conditions that people confuse for uh, demonic attacks, like people who are psychotic, people who have multiple personality, people who are very suggestible. But what leads to demonic attacks is not really something psychological, it's something spiritual. Okay. So th there are different sources of people who get demonically attacked. But the normal way that someone gets a serious demonic attack, like a possession, the normal way, with exceptions, is that either they have turned to something occult, 
like, you know, at the extreme, something like outright Satanism, um, but also flirting with, uh, you know, occultism. Mm-hmm. And or, and the two often go together, they've turned to something very sinful in their lives, uh, and especially if that uh, level of sinfulness it rises to the level of something truly evil. They're setting themselves up for the possibility of possession. Oh, okay. uh, it underscores that, you know, as those type of individuals who may have a serious oppression, who may have a serious possession, they not only need the help of the Church, but they need their own spiritual efforts. They need to renounce their former involvement with occultism or or evil, and they need to turn to our Lord, quite frankly. If they don't do that, no matter what prayers are being said over them, they're not going to get better. Yeah. So, uh, in that sense, it's not like magic. Uh, It it requires the engagement of the personality, right? The person has to be willing to turn away from any... uh, evil that they may have been engaged no, in. No, no, ab- 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 absolutely. Yeah. They, they really need to turn to to our Lord. And it, you might say it's the, it's the exact opposite of magic. The magic, people are looking for, you know, a simple solution, like going to a witch doctor. And, right. You know, uh, it's, it's not like that at all. Now, I'm not saying that the prayers of the Church, which are ultimately to our Lord, because even any good exorcist is not going to say, you know, I'm I'm the healing agent. They're going to say, through the prayers of the Church to our Lord, our Lord has decided at this point to deliver this individual. That is, of course, the opposite of magic. It's it's praying for for prayers, which then also have to go hand-in-hand with the spiritual, you know, um, efforts of the victim. Yeah. are there differences between uh, obsession, possession, control? Uh, what are the categories that uh, you would describe? Well, the, t- the two major categories, and, and you know, I think as you were implying, be- implying before, people use a lot of different terminology right. from country to country, from era to era. The, the, the categories that we use a lot in America are possession, which means that the evil spirit has gained control of the... The, the body and the personality, you might say, not the soul, versus lesser attacks, which is a wide spectrum of opinion, which most of us like to call oppression. And there's mm-hmm. an internal oppressions, there's external oppressions, like the example I gave of the uh, uh, poor lady that was uh, beaten up by spirits. Some people still use the word obsession for some of these things, but the the danger there is that you know, obsession is such a widely used term as a psychological right. disorder now that it can easily be confused. Mm-hmm. What is What do you look for to distinguish between uh, a psychological or psychiatric pathology uh, versus uh, a, a spiritual uh, or preternatural problem? Yeah, and preternatural is the word. Yeah. Um, I... I tell people I've I've evaluated over 25,000 people during the normal course of my professional life, and people are surprised when they say, none of those people have, I thought, was possessed. None of them. 
Wow. What I get okay. is referrals. What I get is referrals from people who have exactly what you were implying, Mr. Cresta. They have some kind of odd symptomatology that cannot be explained as a mental illness that is preternatural. The modern pseudoscientific term is paranormal. They usually have something along those lines. And then you look at the totality of the case. You always have to look. You can't isolate any individual feature. If you look at the totality of the case, you will see that there's usually some context or reason why this happened. Interesting. Uh, Dr. Holt, there we'll come back and continue the conversation. My guest, Dr. Richard Gallagher. Uh, the book is called Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal. I'm Al Krusta. We'll be right back. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Richard Gallagher, author of Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolical Attacks, and the Paranormal. Before the, great, uh, before the break, Dr. Gallagher, you had mentioned that you'd seen, tw- been involved in diagnosing 25,000 cases. And if I understood you correctly, you said you never diagnosed a possession. Is that because, in principle, you don't diagnose a, a possession? Uh, somebody you allow the the priest to make that diagnosis? No, Mr. Cressy. We're talking with those twenty five thousand cases. We're talking about cases that I've seen in the normal course of my professional career. Okay, you know, as a clinical, I'm a very experienced clinical psychiatrist. Gotcha. Okay. So it's not like somebody has walked into my office and said, "Oh, oh my God, sir." You're possessed. You know, those are those are normal patients, you might say. The people that I diagnose as possessions, and there are some people, obviously, who are mistaken about it, are people usually who have sent, been sent to me specifically, say, by a clergy person who has already screened them a little bit and say, look, you know, this guy thinks he might be possessed or, you know, he has certain preternatural features that Mm -hmm. I'm concerned about. Could you evaluate him? So we're really talking about two separate populations. Gotcha. Yeah, that's right. I misunderstood that. Thank you. Um, Let me ask you about Julia, the satanic queen that you discuss at length uh, in your book. Uh, How did you get acquainted with her? Well, again, she was uh, a priest. It was that same priest uh, who asked me to evaluate her. And uh, interestingly, the night before he introduced me, uh, the cats in our house went berserk, and my wife and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then he brought her to my house, which was not a very prudent thing to do the next morning, (laughs) introduced her. And the first thing out of her mouth was, well, Dr. Gallagher, how did you like those cats last night? Wow. I mean, I was taken aback just as much by her awareness of that as by her sort of uh, effrontery. Uh, and then, you know, I came to know her quite well. Uh, she was a Satanist. And, you know, I'm experienced enough as a psychiatrist to know that there certainly has been satanic exaggeration, what they used to call satanic 
panic, satanic conspiracies, mm-hmm. people who see Satanists everywhere. I don't believe that. Right. But I believe there are these rare cases. She was the real deal. She she admitted to me that she worshipped Satan, and she had become possessed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, did she cooperate with you? Uh, did she... You know, the, we we see these. We have these images of people who are possessed, and uh, they cannot stand to be in the presence of a priest. Or, you know, they they manifest all kinds of strange things. Uh, uh, what what? How did she manifest? How did this demon manifest? I guess. Well, uh, the demon manifested in many, many different ways. Uh, I mean, I would be with her sometimes, and, uh, you know, she would go into a trance, and the demonic voice would come out of her. And, in fact, uh, there were many uh, preternatural or paranormal uh, events that I witnessed myself. For instance, uh, at one point when she was about a 1,000 miles away, I was talking to the priest about... um, attending her exorcisms. I, I actually have attended about 250 exorcisms in my life as observer, but I never attended hers. And uh, I said, well, Father, I, I, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't make it. And uh, <clears throat> the, the, the same voice that I had heard come out of her, her being a thousand miles away, not in on the telephone line, came in over the phone, you know, and certain wow. cursing language saying, you know, leave, leave, leave her alone, she's ours. Uh, and I said to the priest, I said, did you hear that? And he said, yes, this is this is an extremely serious case. And, uh, you know, I write about it at length in the book. Yeah. This is an extremely serious case, and uh, these things can happen where, you know, the demonic uh, entity can try to scare us by coming in over a phone line. Mm-hmm. Uh- so, but she eventually found release then? No, she didn't. And, okay. you know, she kind of wanted to have her cake and eat it, too. Uh-huh. She wanted to... She knew she was possessed. She agreed she was possessed. And she wanted to be relieved of the possession. But she didn't really want to leave the cult, which had become her family. And she was also afraid of the cult, that, that you know, they would retaliate. Wow. Uh, so she never entirely renounced the cult or even gave up her, you know, sort of semi-allegiance to Satan. So it was obvious that after a while that she wasn't going to be delivered, and she wasn't. Is there a typical exorcism? You know, is there a type, uh, aspects that can be described as fairly common for all exorcisms? Well, most most well-trained uh, exorcists in the Catholic tradition do use the prayers of the Roman ritual, but there's always some variability, and depending on uh, the case, depending on the, even the personality of the exorcist, they're always going to, you know, ask questions of the demons in slightly different ways, although concentrating on a few key points, like how did this happen, what's your name, when are you going to leave? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not supposed to, you know, engage in idle, curious questions. Uh, but there is a lot of commonality at the same time, because most uh, Catholic priests certainly, you know, rely primarily on saying the prayers of the ritual, Roman ritual. I remember reading an article, uh, it was probably 15 years ago now, 
which uh, was a, just a, like an Associated Press-type story, although it was surprising uh, that it had a bit of a uh, d- d- smirk that ran through it, that uh, the Catholic Church was um, uh, employing more exorcisms, or exorcists, excuse me, more exorcists. And uh, has there been an increase of exorcists? Oh, unquestionably. I mean, one of the reasons I saw, you know, so many cases, I mean, my, my academic chairman, who was a Catholic and supported my work, used to say I've probably seen more of these cases than any other physician in history, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, because, because I was involved with two priests who at the time, this is only, you know, a few decades ago, who probably um, were one of the few official exorcists in America. So they would travel all over. I sometimes would accompany them. I saw a lot of cases. It's a much different situation, even in the last couple of decades, because now there are many exorcists uh, appointed, including in our country. And uh, so most exorcists see, you know, maybe, you know, one case every few years, in their diocese, they may see other cases of people who have lesser attacks. But uh, when I started out, you know, I saw cases all over the country, and I, I still hear about cases all over the world as part of my participation with the International Association. Hmm. Would you- but there are these many more exorcists, and in part because it's become such a kind of popular subject uh, it's so often played up in the media, sometimes right. in ludicrous or sensationalist ways, sure. that whether a person is possessed or not, and, and those cases certainly do exist, uh, a lot of people seem to want to explore whether you know their problems are caused by demonic forces. So there, there does seem to be more of a need for exorcisms. It's also possible that as the culture has moved away from sound Orthodox religion, that more people have turned to paganism and occultism in ways that have gotten more people in trouble. Mm. Yeah, no, very good, very good observation. Um, you know, I was for before I I was away from the Catholic Church for about thirty years, and for twenty of those years, I was involved in various types of evangelical and Pentecostal Protestantism. And uh, in certain areas of Pentecostal Protestantism, there is a, a high uh, expectation that people are possessed or obsessed or oppressed or controlled. Language varies uh, from group to group. But you will hear people uh, diagnosing, I'm talking about untrained um, uh, ministers, would say so-and-so is has a problem with smoking, and so they have a demon of smoking. Um, have you seen this kind of uh, common an attempt to explain uh, misbehaviors uh, as largely a result of demonic activity? And what do you think of that kind of uh, uh, diagnosis? Well, I think it's unfortunate, and I think that, as you're implying, you know, there has been an exaggerated element of that. I remember asking a fundamentalist minister once if he thought there was a spirit of uh, hiccups, you know. <laughs> right. uh, you know, I mean, people take it too far. Right. Uh, and, and you know, even C.S. Lewis himself, 
used to recommend, you know, one has to recognize the the power of, of Satan and his minions. But one shouldn't be seeing the devil everywhere, and you know it's often a, a tricky balance. But, you know, I don't, I don't criticize you know non-Catholics who get a little overwhelmed with this sort of thing. But there's no question that it can be dangerous, especially if they, you know, ignore, you know, the need for medical and other sorts of uh, help with people's personal problems and conceptualize it as, you know sort of completely diabolic or something. Right, right. But what, is, is there a certain type of manifestation that tips you off that you might be dealing with uh, preternatural forces? Well, look, uh, you know, I mean, I also did some training in internal medicine, so I'm a, you know, I'm a very experienced physician as well as board-certified psychiatrist. And, you know, I can tell when something has a naturalistic explanation. Mm-hmm. So when there is something that goes beyond that, like, you know, somebody, you know, strong example, speaking foreign languages all of a sudden or something, uh, and especially if it's in the context of, you know, the other typical elements of an attack, like a voice emerging from them, mm-hmm. and they have a history, you know, suggestive of why they may be a person who, uh, you know, underwent that type of uh, attack. Uh, you look to the totality of the case, as you do with any medical diagnosis, and you make a you make a rigorous uh, discernment and. The, the, you know, the Catholic Church certainly is fairly rigorous and has definite criteria that uh, that they're looking for. I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't do this as an intuitive person. I do this as <laughs> right. a, a rigorous, a rigorous diagnostician. You know, in conjunction with the priest. One last question, which you may or may not be able to answer, and that is: while we know that there are more exorcists at work today. Does that mean that there are more cases of possession? I don't think necessarily. It's it's a, it's it's an it's an ongoing debate. In other words, there there, there would be people, Mister Cresta, as I mentioned, who would think that as people have moved away from mainstream religion, which is certainly a trend in this country, for right. instance, yep. and in Europe, for instance, even more so, uh, that more people may have turned to occultism and paganism. Uh, But I think also it has to do, and and gotten themselves into trouble, but I also think it has to do with more awareness of this, so that you also get more people who think they are attacked and aren't. Gotcha. Gotcha. Dr. Gallagher, thank you. A pleasure talking with you. It's an important field, and I'm glad you're there. Thank you. Uh, My pleasure. You're welcome.